So a moment of pain is worth a lifetime of glory. Just let that phrase that one brother said to another brother as he was on his way to compete in the Olympics, just let that sit for a moment. A moment of pain is worth it for a lifetime of glory. Have you ever found yourself asking this question? Why me? It seems like that's a very popular phrase. I know it's a popular phrase in my life. I know it's a popular phrase in a lot of our lives. And we find ourselves in certain situations and the the response to the situation is, why me? When we're struggling with different things, maybe we're struggling financially, and it just seems like you're never able to get ahead, and it looks like, you know, things are finally starting to work out with your finances, and the furnace breaks, the car breaks down, the air conditioner breaks, and you just never seem to get ahead. Why me? Or maybe there's kind of family dynamics and there's some tension in your family with some of the relationships and and you pray to God that the relationships would be healed and you'd be able to overcome some struggles. And it actually sometimes doesn't seem to get better, but it seems to get worse. Why me? Why me? Me, a very, very common phrase as we look at our money and our relationships and our health and our education and government and church. Why me? It's an important question for us to unpack because a moment of pain is worth it for a lifetime of glory. Today we're in week two of our summer series called At the Movies. If you're new with us, what we do is we take big Hollywood blockbuster movies and we unpack them during the month of July and find some biblical themes that are in there to help us kind of use these Hollywood movies to point us to the truth of the Bible. And today's story is the movie Unbroken. It's a story that kind of takes place during World War II. It's based on the true life story of Louis Zamperini. Now, Louis is the son of Italian immigrants, and um, Louis found himself in a lot of trouble growing up. You see, being kind of an immigrant kid, he wasn't well treated, there was a lot of bullying happening, and he kind of turned to drinking and getting in trouble and stealing and all of these different things, finding himself getting arrested. His life is kind of on this trajectory that's not good. And his older brother, Pete, kind of jumps in in order to kind of fix his little brother, in order to kind of turn him around from the path that he was on. Because everywhere that Louis went, he was constantly blamed for everything that was going on. And a lot of the times with the fights that he would find himself in, he practiced running to get away from the bullies. And it turned out he was fast, very fast. And the, church, the school administrators saw that, the coaches saw that, his brother saw that. And so they made him join the track team. He didn't want to do it. He had no faith in himself. He had no faith in his abilities. He just wanted to keep living this life of getting into trouble. But because of his brother's love, he joined the team and he found himself winning and winning and winning and winning everywhere that he went. So much so that he got invited to compete in the 19th, 36 Berlin Olympics where he create where he had a record time in his last lap of the race. 
Right? And so Louis dreamed of competing again in the 1940 Olympics that were to take place in Tokyo. Now, Louis ended up in Tokyo, but not any way that he thought he would. You see, World War II kind of put a wrench in his life and his plans. And he ended up being a, a, a bombardier on a B-24 serving near the Pacific Ocean. These planes, if you're not familiar, I'm not a big war guy, did a bit of research on it. These planes were literally nicknamed Flying Coffins. Sign up for that job, getting into a flying coffin. And so on one rescue mission that Louis and his team was on, one of the engines failed and they crashed. Louis, Phil, and another airman named Mac were the only survivors to survive the crash. They lashed two life rafts together, and they spent 47 days lost at sea. One of the highest amount of time that anyone has ever spent lost at sea. And then a boat shows up. Rescuers have come. Unfortunately, it was a Japanese warship. He gets picked out of the sea where he spent 47 days and then gets brought to a Japanese prisoner of war camp and spent two years there, tortured and abused. Why me? Why me? You see, we, we, there's, a, there's a tension that we face as evangelical modern-day Christians And it's this notion that because God is love and because God is all-powerful, my life should be great. (laughs) My life should be perfect. I should have no problems. I should have no stress. I should have no trouble because God is love. And God loves me. And I pray and I serve and I follow him. And yet bad things keep happening. Why me? Let's watch this clip of Louis and his pilot friend, Phil. Now, Phil is a Christian. He believes in God, and um, Louis doesn't. And you can kind of see this interaction that they have when it comes to their faith and how faith plays out a little bit while they're serving in the war. So let's just watch this. See, the Bible gives us a lot of stories about people's lives, men and women who follow God. And sometimes when we study the Bible... We have this kind of notion where it's like, well, if, if I just be like this person, then these things should happen for me. And, and that's actually the wrong way to study these stories. See, the goal in our lives as followers of Jesus is not to be like these people, but it's to learn from their faith. What is it about their faith in God that can help strengthen and change our faith in God? See, there's story after story after story of different people whose lives are hard, who they're dealing with very difficult situations. And in this movement, this kind of new modern Christian movement of everything in your life should be perfect, I don't know how you can come to that conclusion when you actually study what the Bible teaches. Jesus reminds us again and again and again that in this world, you will have trouble. The apostles, 
lived lives of great difficulty and persecution, empowered by the Spirit of God to accomplish the will of God in the world. And one of the most famous stories, I think, in in your Bible about someone who's had a difficult life is the story of a young man named Joseph. If you're not familiar with the story of Joseph, he is um, one of the younger brothers. He's the second to last brother in a very large family of 13 boys. Imagine that, moms. (laughs) Oh, right. I think kids listened back then in biblical days. You know, it was a little easier to have large families, you know. But uh, so Joseph, he's kind of this younger brother. He's got all these older brothers. And Joseph is favored by his father, Jacob, because he was born to him in his old age. And his brothers didn't like the favor that they were receiving from their father, that he was receiving from their father. And when you understand the culture back then, it's the older brothers are supposed to receive favor, not the younger ones. The younger ones live to serve the older ones. And Joseph has this dream, this vision that he's given from God, that one day his brothers are going to bow down and serve him. And being the wise, useful person that he was, he tells this to his brothers. Moron. <laughs> you haven't learned from the abuse you got from your brothers for like, you know, like all those years. And you're going to say, hey, guess what, guys? You're all going to bow down to me one day. Yeah, that'd go over really well. If you have an older brother, try that tonight. See how it goes for you, right? Well, it, they didn't respond well. They decide we're going to take this dreamer. And we're going to kill him. Wow, good brother. (laughs) Right? Now one brother has pity on him and says, well, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him into a pit. And then I can come back later and rescue him. And then the brothers have this great idea. Hey, we could sell him into slavery, get some money, get some cash. And that's what we're going to do with this brother. You can read the story of Joseph. It's kind of in... Genesis, the first book in your Bible, it kind of starts in chapter 37, goes all the way to, you know, near the end of the book. And here I'm just going to read a few verses to kind of help us get grounded in this story of someone who's probably asking himself many times, why me? Why is this happening to me? Right? The brothers, like I just shared, like here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him. Let's throw him into one of these cisterns. It's like a well. And they are a ferocious, and then a ferocious animals will come and devour him, and we'll see what comes of his dreams. Then Reuben heard this. He tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life. Don't shed any blood. Let's just throw him into the cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him because he wanted to come back and rescue him. Sell him into slavery. They take this fancy cloak that his father made for him. They dip it in blood. They tear it up, bring it to his father and says, your son was devoured by wild animals. And Joseph is brought into slavery. He's brought into the land of Egypt. Why me? I was a good boy, obeying God, honoring my father doing what he told me to do, living the life according to the teachings of my father, Jacob. Why me? But God's favor is with him. He gets favor with his new master. Things are starting to look up for him. His master puts him in charge of everything in his home. He's kind of like the head guy. 
Number two in command. And then there's a little temptation that shows up. Pontifer is his master. His wife shows up and starts hitting on him, saying, come to bed with me. And Joseph says, no, how could I do such a horrible thing against God and against my master? I can't do that. Now, we give Joseph a lot of credit because we just assume that this is like a really hot 20-year-old Egyptian woman. She could be 80. We don't know. (laughs) It might have been easier to say no (laughs) than we give him credit for. Text doesn't specify. But whatever it was, this was bad, and Joseph would not dishonor his master, would not dishonor his God. He is doing the right thing, and he's arrested. He is obeying God's will for his life, and he goes to jail. Why me? Why me? Again and again and again, this keeps happening to Joseph. He finds himself in prison. Joseph's master took him, put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Again and again and again, God, why me? Why me? And then there's these reminders that God is still with him. Even when life stinks, even when everything is going bad, God is still with him. God's favor is still on him. You see, when Louis and his team crashed and only three of them survived, they find themselves lost at sea for 47 days. (laughs) Louis, kind of growing up in an Italian Christian home, did not have the faith of his parents. One of the other, the pilot there is a Christian. He had been teaching Louis that God has a plan. God has a plan, a wonderful plan for your life. Does that wonderful plan for your life include 47 days lost at sea? where you don't know where you're going to drink water, where the beating sun is literally burning the skin off of your body, when you're being circled by sharks and there's nothing to eat. That's God's plan? Why me? And so Louis finds himself in this boat and trying to seek God in that moment of being in this horrible situation. So let's just watch this clip here. I, I love that scene in the movie, right? Because here you got this horrible situation that these guys find themselves in. And you say that prayer. God, if you get me through this, I'll dedicate my whole life to you. I'll follow you. I'll be obedient. I'll read my Bible. I'll volunteer. I'll tithe. I'll be a better son. I'll be a better daughter. I'll listen to my parents. I'll, I'll do whatever, God, you want me to do. And then the sun comes out and some healing rain comes and you're refreshed. And then Mac dies two days later. And then the Japanese boat shows up and brings him to a prisoner of war camp. But I said the prayer. I prayed. 
Joseph's story kind of models that as well. So you've got Joseph in here. He's sent to prison, accused of trying to rape Pontifer's wife. He's in jail. God tells him, I am still with you. He seems to get some blessing while he's there. He finds favor with the master of the jail. The jail master puts him in charge of everything there to position that, hey, this isn't so bad. Life is better. And he meets a couple of servants of Pharaoh. There's a cupbearer and a baker. And they were sent there. They're in jail. And they get this dream, this vision from God. One of them gets the vision that he's going to be restored to his position to serve Pharaoh. And the other one gets the vision that he's going to be killed and executed. (laughs) Joseph, through God, interprets this dream to them. It happens exactly the way the interpretation happens. One of the servants goes back to Pharaoh. The other one is executed. And Joseph just says, when you go back, when you're back in your position, would you just do me one favor? (laughs) Would you just let Pharaoh know that I'm in jail? That I'm here falsely? That I didn't do this? If he could just hear my case, if he could just give me a chance to explain? (laughs) It's, oh yeah, I got your back, Joseph. Oh, God's going to answer that prayer. Cricket, cricket, cricket. He never tells Pharaoh, and Joseph spends more time in jail. It says in Genesis chapter 40, verse 23, that the cupbearer forgot. You forgot? How do you forget you're in jail? How do you forget what happens to you in jail? Oh, because your life is now good again. That's how you forget. And so he forgets about this, forgets about those dark days, forget about those people. I don't want to be reminded of that bad situation. Forgets. And Joseph sits there in prison longer and longer and longer. Louis says this beautiful prayer during this horrible storm. God, just get me home. Get me through this. I will serve you. I will follow you. Isn't that the kind of prayer God should answer? Right? Isn't that the way we pray? God, if you would only, then I will. God, if you fix this, then I will. God, if you bless this, then I will. Because I don't want this bad stuff to keep happening to me. God, fix the bad stuff, then I will. Do this. Louis, instead of getting home, getting rescued, finds himself in the worst camp there. Not just a prisoner of war camp, the worst of the prisoner of war camps. Whereas this leader there is known as the bird, and he tortures him and torments him daily for two years, breaking him completely, breaking his will breaking his heart, breaking his soul in this horrible situation that he finds himself in. You're nothing. (laughs) We can find ourselves in these situations of life. Now, we may never have it as bad as what Louis went through. We may never have it as bad as what Joseph went through. But where does our mind go when life is bad? Where does our thoughts go when life is hard? Where does our heart turn to in these moments, sometimes that could last for decades? How do we handle that? How do we handle that? How do we be like Joseph? 
What is it about Joseph's faith that in this moment, in this life that he is leading, he can actually still trust and follow God? See, Joseph is able to do this because he knows God. And he knows that God is the great planner. That God sees the past, God sees the present, and God sees the future. There is a planner who knows the past, who sees the past, who knows the present, who sees the future. And Joseph's faith is not in what he sees. It's not in his environment. It's not in what he is experiencing. His faith is in the God that he has known since he was a child. The God that he can trust. That in this world... You will have many troubles, but take heart. I have overcome the world, are the words of Jesus. Take heart. Again, whenever the Bible talks about your heart, that is your whole being. That is who you are completely. In this horrible situation that you find yourself in, with money, with relationships, with job, with school, whatever that might be, take heart that there is a planner who knows what he's doing. Now, I know in my life, I'm blessed, and I recognize that. My life has been great. I am blessed, incredibly blessed. Now, are there some things that I wish were better? Sure. Do I have some pity parties from time to time where I go, why me, why me? Absolutely. (laughs) But in the stresses of life and the difficulty of life, when it's so easy to get focused on the bad thing and the bad people and the people who are doing this and then and then and then all the things we complain about, you got to grab that thought. Say, no, I'm taking this captive. I will take heart. Because Jesus overcomes this. That there is a planner. I'm not a cosmic accident. This situation is not outside of the control of God. This situation is not outside of the thoughts of God, the sight of God. He knows what's happening. And because of who he is, I can trust him in that one of the amazing themes that i find in the story of joseph and in this movie unbroken is only shows up right at the very end you see a movie like this can make get us all kind of gung-ho and yeah we're just gonna suck it up we're gonna pull up our bootstraps because here's a movie about a non-christian guy Right, this is a non-Christian guy, and if you and his brother kept telling him, his brother had like all these great one-liners. I wish I had an older brother with all this kind of wisdom. Right, he says, "If you can take it, you can make it." Wouldn't that make a great bumper sticker? And if you can take it, you can make it. Right, just a little bit of pain, a little bit of suffering is worth it for a lifetime of glory. Right, and so it could look like it's this theme about you need to suck it up. But what's incredible about the story of Joseph and the story here about Louis is that it's actually a story about forgiveness. It's that it's actually a story about forgiveness, 
regardless of what happens, the situation you find yourself in, the people that influence things in a negative way, when you truly take heart that there is a planner who is watching over all of this, you can do something which is crazy and you can forgive. Like in the story of Joseph, Joseph in prison, um, he's there waiting and waiting and waiting because the cupbearer forgot all about him until Pharaoh has a dream and none of Pharaoh's wizards and magicians can interpret this. And then the cupbearer goes, oh yeah, now I remember. There's a guy that can interpret these dreams. So they get him, they clean him up because he can't be in prison for all those years and go before Pharaoh. They clean him up, goes before the king of the world and says, can you interpret this dream? And Joe says, no. What? I can't. God can. I can't. God can give glory to the right person. Good job, Joseph. And then he gets the interpretation says, there's going to be, we're going to, we're going to get hit with this massive famine. So we better start saving up now because it's going to get really hard. It's going to be really hard when this famine hits. So we're going to, there's going to be plenty. There's going to be a big harvest. We've got to save it. We've got to ration it before the famine to come so that we'll be safe. And so Pharaoh takes Joseph's advice, puts him again second in command only to himself. He leads the people of Egypt into this huge prosperity. And then his brothers, the guys who threw him into the pit, the guys who were jealous of him, the guys who wanted to deal with this dreamer. They start going through the famine. They have to go to Egypt to get food. And then they find themselves face to face with their brother. Then Joseph, a whole bunch of different things happened. And then Joseph makes himself known to his brothers in Genesis chapter 45. Right, you can read in verse 3 where it says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Uh, no kidding. <laughs> this is the guy we tried to kill all those years ago, and now he's the second most powerful person in the world. <laughs> Hope he'll be nice. <laughs> Nicer than we were. And he is. Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. How do you get there? How do you get there when life is so hard? After difficulty, after difficulty, after difficulty, how do you get to the point, it's all good. It's all good. Because God sent me here ahead of you to save lives. That's a heart of forgiveness. It's a heart of forgiveness. That you cannot truly see what God is doing. If, if our eyes are only on our situation, if our eyes are only on our trouble, our pain, then we can't see the bigger picture. We can't see how God wants to use this for his glory. We're too busy in our own pity party. But God is a God of love and of mercy and of justice who can use suffering for your joy and your and his glory and it's so difficult to see that in the moment 
But you need to take heart. And no matter what I'm dealing with, no matter what you're dealing with, you need to take heart that God has got this. Forgive the people around you. Forgive the situation. Forgive yourself. Forgive God. I don't know what the situation is for you, but there's this heart of forgiveness that has to happen. See, God answered Louis' prayer to use him for his glory, but it didn't come until years later. Years later. In fact, one of the things I actually love, this is one of these things that I love about movies. I'm, I'm a bonus scene movie nut guy. I like the extra features that are on the Blu-ray disc. You know, like if you want, I love it when people say, hey, I bought you this movie and they they bought me like the cheaper DVD version with no bonus features. I'm like, what is this? Come on. Like, I want the bonus features. I like, you know, all the extended stuff that's added. I love seeing how they make it, especially in a movie like this, where the family intentionally left out his Christian journey because they didn't want the world to just say, oh, here's another Christian movie. They all stink. We kind of do that. What non-Christian wants to go see a Christian movie? They don't. They don't because they know it's going to have some gospel thing in it and they know it's going to be cheesy and all that. And the family here said, we want this story to get out so that they could explore the rest of the story afterwards. And the story after the movie is that Louis gets home and his life is not good. Even once he gets home, you know, the post-traumatic stress of that situation is ginormous. His marriage is horrid. He's angry. He's bitter. He's drinking. He's not good. And his wife, in an act of desperation, says, I'm going to leave you unless you go listen to this new preacher who's kind of preaching around here named Billy Graham. (laughs) Go listen to him, and I'll stay with you. So here's a clip from the bonus features of his family sharing what happened after the movie. Let's watch this. You see, we follow a God who has forgiven us. The Bible says that in our sin, we were enemies of God. But God so loved us, he sent Jesus to die for us. That God forgives. And out of the forgiveness that we have received, we are called to be ambassadors of bringing the forgiveness of God everywhere that we go, regardless of the situation, regardless of the blessing you receive. It's the call. And when we truly forgive as we have been forgiven, it truly sets the prisoner free. It sets us free over our thoughts, our desires, my plans, my wants. It sets us free from the phrase, why me? When we can take heart that God has got bigger plans, even through the trials that you and I deal with. So let's pray together. Father God, um, in a room of this size, And with people joining us online, we know, God, that people are dealing with troubles and that people are dealing with difficulties. And God, we praise you that you are a God who sees and knows and hears and have not abandoned us to deal with these difficulties alone. That through your love and your strength, Father, we can. We can get through it. Doesn't mean it won't be 
easy. It won't be hard. It, um, but it means, God, that we know that we can trust you as the God who sees the past, present, and future. And so, Father, I pray that regardless of whatever situation we find ourselves in, that our hearts would not become hardened, that we could forgive those who hurt us, those who disappoint us, those who let us down. I pray that we could forgive ourselves for the choices that we've made and the sins that maybe we've caused. And ultimately, God, I pray that nobody here would hang on to anger towards you, God. When we cry out to you, why would you allow this? Our hearts could become hardened to you. So, Father, I pray that we would let that go as well. Father, we are very grateful for how you work, even through difficulties. And it really is true. We see it again and again and again all throughout your word, through the Bible, that a little bit of pain is worth it for a lifetime of glory with you. A little bit of pain in this life, a little bit of pain in this world is worth it because of the eternity that we get to spend with you. We're going to um, sing one last song. And if you're here today, and and maybe this whole Jesus thing is new to you, I just want you to know um, Jesus is not simply this get out of my problems pass. (laughs) That Jesus wants to do immeasurably more in your life. Jesus wants to do immeasurably more through your life than you even want. (laughs) And Jesus' plan may be a long time of difficulty. But that's okay. (laughs) He does it because he knows, because he has a plan, because there's a purpose. (laughs) And when you get to know him more, you can trust him even in that. And so I would encourage you to get to know him more. Hang out with people who know him more (laughs) so that you could follow him faithfully in no matter what you're dealing with. We're also going to collect our offering now. This is just part of our worship. If you're a guest, please don't feel obligated to give unless God puts it on your heart to do so. And the worship team is just going to lead us in one last song.